Well, hello, baby. What's a babylicious babe like you doing in a bank like this? What do you say we step on into the back of the house? You show me your core, and I'll show you my core. Along, of course, with my customer relationship management software, my 16 data silos, and a list of vacation requests from my staff longer than the line behind the teller sign that says, next window, please. Because it's a love fest, bankadelic style. Part two of two, episodes two. And this time around, the Bankadelic Rodeo features these incredible guests. You gotta love them. Lee Faribaugh, the president of Monarch. Scott Earwood, director of community solutions at White Clay. Stephen Baker, the CEO of Connective. And Jeff Grabowski, founder and CEO of Epic River. Here we are. So, yeah, come on, get down. Down solo, your customers will wonder, why is your website running so slow? <laughs> and so, something never tried before, but in the name of love, one must extend oneself. We have the second of two Valentine's Day podcasts for 2024 and four fabulous guests with us. For the icebreaker question, not always a comfortable one, but hey, some things in life are cringy. We would love to hear about your first crush and how that turned out. So let's start out with you, Lee Faribault. All right. Well, I'm Lee Faribault. I'm president of Monarch. Monarch is a new division just spun out in Core 10, and we are a leading SaaS implementation and configuration services provider. We specialize in streamlining the software adoption process for fintech and financial services platforms through comprehensive onboarding and customer success services. My first crush, my first big crush was in the seventh grade. We'll just call him DM to protect the innocent. And this poor boy, everyone knew I liked him, but I was rendered completely speechless every time he was near. So suffice it to say, it never went beyond a crush. And I continued to carry the flame until we went to separate high schools. But all I can say is I hope he found a nice girl who could actually talk to him. <laughs> That's great. Scott Earwood, your turn. Hi, my name is Scott Earwood. I am the Director of Community Solutions at White Clay. We are a software and consulting firm that specializes in building out your data set and profitability for banks and credit unions. And how that's kind of manifesting itself these days is ways to help bankers, you know, fight the margin crutch, find more deposits and build deeper relationships. And then my first crush, to be honest, I don't have one that is memorable. And so I can probably guarantee it was even less memorable for the girl that it was. I grew up as a full-blown kind of sports guy. And so that was really more where all my attention went to. And even to the point that I realized later in life that I played soccer through college and 
I had never had a girlfriend in the fall until my junior year of college because sports always took the first place of my attention. So I unfortunately don't have any good stories, but I guarantee you, I didn't have success either. And anyone that I would have had a crush on, it wasn't memorable for them either. Well, you know, they're scoring and then they're scoring. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Stephen Baker. Yes. Hello, Stephen Baker, CEO of Connective. We are a relatively new company in the market, introduced last year as the combination of three constituent businesses that came together to form us. So this year is kind of the first full year, but you know, as the name would imply, dedicated to connectivity. So we see ourselves as connective tissue in the market, connecting all things from the branch, in terms of hardware, things like recyclers and ITMs, supporting all those branch interfaces to the digital space, both in the back office, call centers, analytics, and the consumer space and the digital front, loan opening, account opening, and so forth. So we connect all those things, you know, like BASF, we don't do any of them, we just make them better. And that extends to in the transaction space as we drive documents through what I like to call the blood flow of the system and consummate, help move transactions forward, ultimately archiving documents back in the core. So all about connectivity between core and disparate solutions and helping drive transactions between them. So with that said, I'm deeply in love with this company. <laughs> but looking back in history, you know, I'm sure funny, I have two little boys now, and it's funny to watch them interact with their little friends and their little crushes and stuff. So I'm sure I had crushes earlier than this one. But my first one of memory, like Lee, was also in the seventh grade. And I went to an all-boys school. So we had a sister school. We saw them sparingly, but I had a major crush on this girl. And it turns out it was mutual. And so a blissful, you know, probably several weeks after which, you know, somebody told me that this friend had been seen at a mall with another boy. It turned out not to be true, but this is the way things go in middle school. Totally devastated me. So crash and burn hard for sure. But what do they say? No cut as deep as the first. So that's the story. What a rat. Who would do something <laughs> like that? Well, then again, I guess that's half the soap operas out there, right? <laughs> so sad. Ah! Jeff Grabowski, you're up. Hey, Lou. Thanks for having me. Jeff Grabowski, the CEO of Epic River. We provide lending as a service solutions to community banks and credit unions. And our banks and credit unions have done really great things with our platform. The one we're most proud of is our patient lending, uh, which enables community financial institutions across the country to solve the growing problem of healthcare affordability. I'm much more comfortable talking about the company than crushes, but the first one I can remember was in fifth grade. And there was a girl I sat next to in class and I distinctly remember spending every minute of class trying to get her attention. Sadly, it never went anywhere. The main reason I remember is because that class was silent reading and it's the only class I ever failed. The report card read F, was not silent, did not read. <laughs> well, I would say you were reading, you were trying to read the love language. Yeah, maybe I'll give her a call back. <laughs> Now, as we move into the Valentine's theme, one of the things I would love to hear feedback on, and it's an unusual question, but one that's definitely pertinent in 2024, is that there are certain things in financial services and fintech that aren't getting the love or the attention they deserve. What might they be? 
Hey, Lou, this is Jeff with Epic River. One thing that I think doesn't get much love, but probably should, is bank leadership. These folks had a tough couple of years, and the ones that made it through stronger or grew during it, it can be tough to grow a community financial institution or bank in this country when you know it's a good period, low interest, and all of the things that mark good times for growth for banks. But you know, on the heels of COVID, an inflationary period, a year where there were you know massive bank failures that carried all the news, I just think it really speaks to the leadership of some of these community financial institutions that were able to navigate such a tricky time. And rarely do you hear anything positive about you know bank presidents, bank CEOs, or bank boards. Stephen Baker from Connective and. I like Jeff's. That's a really good one. I was going to say something, which I think is maybe a little contrarian. And I should preface this by saying I'm probably the newest person in this industry of the group. I've been in less than a year. I spent many years in related prop tech industry. I've been to events. I've been to a lot of you know forums, talking to folks. It seems fashionable to kind of bag on the course and kind of all the things that they don't do. And my observation is I think a lot of people are doing that a little bit unfairly and you know perhaps relying on their course to do everything under the sun. And I worked for an ERP system in prop tech, and maybe that's why I'm sensitive to this. But I think just the idea that of all the things the core is doing and you know all the processes it has to support and compliance and so forth, but just broadening the perspective of leveraging more third parties to deliver innovation and technologies to integrate to the core, you know, can be the place to move things forward and thereby sort of prevent the falling out of love with the core, if you will. I think it's just the way to keep things fresh, perhaps is the right analogy. And there's a sentiment here that could counter this maybe unfair characterization of what the cores are doing and how good they're doing at, because I think it's under sung. Absolutely. Anything that paints with a broad brush and generalizes tends to overlook the good that is happening out there. This is Lee from Monarch. That makes a lot of sense, Stephen. And we work with a lot of financial services SaaS platforms, you know, and in some ways they're there to provide services that the core doesn't provide. And we often find it's inevitable that when these SaaS companies, fintech SaaS, when they're growing and scaling, they get really focused on product development and revenue. And the natural result of that is a backlog in customer implementation and onboarding. And those are the things that maybe don't get the love they deserve. I think a great implementation experience paves the way for product adoption. And in my opinion, it's a key indicator for churn. So if you have a great onboarding, strong adoption, low churn, that stands to reason. It's much easier to upsell and upgrade a customer who can't live without your product. So I would say make sure that for SaaS and FinTech SaaS that you don't put the customer onboarding on the back burner. It's every bit as important as the next feature or the next sale. This is Scott with White Clay, and Lee, I think that's a great point, and I kind of have something sort of tangentially, I think, related to that. What I don't see a lot of times getting enough love is we've gone through a pretty good period over the last five to 10 years of the digitization of banks and more digital offerings and those kind of things. But what often doesn't get the love with that, there's sort of two sides of that coin, and there's the forward-facing to the customer and trying to help with that process, but also all the data that banks and credit unions have that they're sitting on and how can we utilize that data to provide a better experience, to provide a more intuitive look for the customer and for them to see that. But it's really around getting this data 
they have access to in a usable and workable format to provide better customer service and actually enhance the benefits of the digitization that banks and credit unions are trying to do in the products they're implementing. Love this panel so far, boy. You hit on a lot of great points, right? That data utilization that you're talking about, Scott, and then we have the leadership puzzle. That is a new answer for me. That's something that I haven't really heard talked about on many Bankadelic episodes. Customer onboarding, implementation, integration and innovation in the core. We covered some good ground there, which makes me very eager to hear the responses to the next question, because this is a little bit of a different twist because people do tend to complain. We elaborated on that a little bit when talking about the core, but there's also the sense that we stand back and wish things were different and they're not so. And for Valentine's Day, the word I came up with is heartbreaking. So what is breaking your heart or maybe disappointing you in terms of pitfalls that financial services still has to struggle with? I'll jump in on this one. This is Lee from Monarch, because I think we all have a common thread here about data and integrations across all of our different companies. So I've often said APIs are eating the world, a riff on another famous quote, and integrations are as important today as they ever have been. But not all integrations were created equal. If you're doing an integration, both systems have to be speaking the same sort of quote unquote data language. In other words, if you want a certain piece of data, the other system has to be able to provide it and in the format that you expect. And a lot of times integrations are advertised as easy and accessible. They're not always like that. And I know you guys probably would agree they're more difficult than you might think. We've been working specifically with Salesforce to integrate it and some other leading CRMs to financial services platforms. And doing this well requires someone who really knows the data model on both sides of the integration. I believe that you really need experts for that. A lot of experts here today on that. And we often find that once we get in there, the CRM itself needs additional configuration to work with the new data. So I would say be prepared for that so you don't get your heart broken, but know that once you do it right, you'll realize huge benefits from your systems all working together. Wow. How about that? That's really almost tangential to people saying, do you speak the same love language, right? I would never have thought of that before. So really great observation. Yeah. Lee, this is Scott with White Clay. I like that. I think Along those same lines, what I hear from our bank clients and other bank leadership is they're struggling with the economic environment changing. We're no longer in the everything's free, go get as many loans as you can, very transactional oriented that we faced in this sort of historic lows of you know cost of funds and things like this that we've experienced for about 10, 12 years. And instead, it's kind of going back to relationship banking and how do we become more trusted advisors and i think that the pitfalls that some fintechs and finserv that the banks tell us they're struggling with are it's a lot of the things that are done are still a transactionally based product and the ones that can help the bank and maybe even more importantly the bankers learn those insights or have that information or have that dedicated connection with their systems to say, how can your system help my bankers become 
this relationship banker instead of a lender and a trusted advisor instead of just, I need to go be this hunter and not worry about anything but this one product. That seems to be a pitfall and a challenge that the banks are facing and in turn, fintechs are having trouble keeping up. Stephen Baker from Connective. I love that. And I've got a thought that's a riff on what you're saying. It's also kind of empathetic to the bank staff. And I think it's on two fronts. One, we're hearing from institutions that it's a tough budgeting year because there's a lot of uncertainty in the economic forecast, right? That they're having trouble setting budgets because they just don't know how the year is going to turn out, right? Are there going to be rate cuts? How's that going to drive returns for them and deposits? And as a result, like they're having more trouble, I think, budgeting for new solutions, both to elevate the client experience as well as introduce new services. But they have to balance that with the need to be better because if they don't keep up, big institutions will steal their clients or the bank or see you across the street will. So I think it's a tough spot to be in. And I think the extension of that is, this is kind of what you're hitting on, like it really hurts the frontline employees because they don't have the tools they need to do a great job, provide the best service and the best value to customers. So it leads to kind of suboptimal outcomes for the clients, for the consumers. It also, I think, hurts employee retention, which is such a big issue for us, right? Like the harder you make somebody's job, the less likely they want to stick around. And so it's kind of this multifaceted challenge that's slowing things down in a world where I think everybody wants to continue digital transformation and do better with data to make better decisions and add more value to members and clients. This is Jeff from Epic River. I couldn't agree more. And I really think the thing that's breaking my heart is somewhat the same as what you guys have all said, is that the integrations that are being done are not necessarily being done in an optimal manner. And Stephen, you mentioned the front of house staff, but also those back office folks, the loan ops groups, they're really struggling because while there's lots of integrations being done, a lot of them are file drop nightly or ones that require some rekeying of information or total rekeying into disparate systems. And it just seems really difficult to be in that job. And frankly, again, to your point, Stephen, there's a lot of turnover in those groups because it's a tough, thankless job. And it's just heartbreaking to see that it's still going on in the financial institution space. It's really amazing that we've got such unanimity of thought here along the lines of data, along the lines of integrations, what's happening in the front of the house, what's happening in the back of the house. Can jobs be made easier? Can a common language be spoken through all of the data sets and the technologies that handle them? Really a collective wisdom here, something to think about for everyone listening out there. Now, as we head into the home stretch here, the beginning of 2024, always a fantastic time to look ahead. Valentine's Day, a reason to be happy and optimistic. I'm wondering what each one of you would have to say about what's ahead or could be ahead in the new year that you're really looking forward to. Yeah, Lou, I'll jump in first here. This is Scott from White Clay. What I'm excited about is Banking often gets a bad rap. So I'm actually excited about how banks can help their communities in this upcoming, potentially tough economic environment. How can they help their clients when things aren't the best? How can they help their communities continue some growth and spur on that growth? And they've got a lot of tools. And like I said, they get a lot of bad rap sometimes, but in reality, banking really helps businesses leverage up. They help 
communities thrive. And I think going forward in this tougher economic environment, when we maybe have some headwinds instead of tailwinds, I'm excited to see what banks can do to step up and help their communities to wade through these tough times. They usually do it really well, and I'm excited to see what they're going to do in this cycle. That's very astute. I find myself always realizing that whenever the chips are down, it's the community banks that seem to step up. You know, with early 2000s, it was the community banks that stepped up when the mortgage crisis hit, they really stepped up. And then in COVID with PPP, they were there for the communities. And I think there's a real opportunity this year for community financial institutions to leverage their connections, leverage the fact that they do have people in all these towns and all these places Cold calling is dead. Cold emails are dead. Online reviews have been taken over by the bots. The sheer volume of LinkedIn and social media advertising is seemingly rendering those mediums to noise. I could just see this year being a time where personal connections, referrals within the community provide a competitive differentiator for all these smaller community financial institutions. This is Lee from Monarch. I'm excited about the potential for the regulatory environment to settle and catch up with technology advancements. Now, you guys might laugh at me and tell me I'm a hopeless romantic for saying that, but let's just will that one into existence, shall we? I think if that does happen, banks will have less of a cold feet feeling about adopting fintech SaaS that can really propel them forward in terms of competing with alternatives in lending, investing, deposit accounts, and the like. Banks aren't tech companies, but increasingly they have to act like them. So they need really strong partners to help them do that and a clear regulatory path to success. But I'll say on a little bit different note, you know, we've all talked about, like Lou just said, the common language, making jobs easier, eliminating rekeying. Back in my days of being a designer and a developer, we always said that software should act like a considerate human being. And so oftentimes love starts as friendship. So maybe if our software products are very friendly towards our banking customers, then they will come to love them. Lee, I love your optimism and glasses half full. This is Steven from Connective. I tend to be an optimist myself, so I appreciate that. Good sentiment. I will say, you know, as we look at the market, I think what I love about what's ahead the continuation of digital strategies being at the forefront. You know, we thought this trend might be losing some momentum or some hype, but we're having conversations early this year. And I think there's as much energy around this as ever kind of harkens back to some of our discussion previously about data integration as well. And, you know, we're, we're seeing, we spent a lot of time talking to a lot of players. This year, I've talked to senior execs from each of the major cores already, a number of fintech solutions. And I'm excited because I think there's a sentiment towards more openness, more integration, more desire to facilitate that. And I think all these things will allow financial institutions greater freedom and control. That's two words that I've loved in every industry I've been in. But the freedom and control to choose the vendors they want without taking on complexity and technical burden. And Lee, I think that's partly why you guys have spun up your new venture. So I think this is a tailwind that's going to support all of what we're doing and frankly, move the industry forward in a big way. Love it. Love it. <laughs> We are optimists here at Bankadelic from the start. It is great that we're emphasizing not only positivity, but I hope for each one of you prosperity and that your efforts multiply and make a difference. And I know that beyond what you do and what you do well, there's also that desire to make a difference. So here's to doing that and happy Valentine's Day to all. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, Lou. 
<sighs> Ain't love grand. And there it is. Part two of two Valentine's Day Love Fests 2024 for the Bankadelic Matchmakers. And we want to thank the fabulous four emissaries of Cupid who came by to make this show what it was and what a show it was. Lee Farabaugh, president of Monarch. Scott Earwood, director of community solutions at White Clay. Stephen Baker, the CEO of Connective. And Jeff Grabowski, founder and CEO of Epic River. Just as with our last episode, a list of people so long to thank, I've got to try to condense it in 20 seconds when it could be 20 minutes. Our producer in Chicago, Ken Montone, our wonderful sponsors, Banker Hire, Talking Biz News, Lemonade LXP, and the William Mills Agency featuring, of course, the Wrangler of Guests, the podcast Zarina without compare, the one, the only, Catherine Law. We love you, Catherine! Special thanks as ever to our Bankadelic Consigliere, Prince of Men, King of Phone Tag, Rob Gaynor. Dude, I totally got into the show. And to all of you who helped make 2023 the most successful year in Bankadelic's history, 10,000 listens. Give or take a rogue spin from yours truly. And stay tuned for more fabulous Bankadelic episodes that you can catch through our SoundCloud page or via Apple Podcasts and, we hope, no foolin', the Bankadelic April Fool's Day Jokerama extravaganza. And until then, stay good, may your deposits and cash flow be high, and may your software crashes be non-existent. We love you. Lou Carlozo, signing off. And yet Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. You show me your core, and I'll show you my core. <laughs>